feel like fall is finally here. Amen. Let's give it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now your patience will be tested this next, next week as summer comes back. So that's just how it is here in Texas. Um, for those of y'all that are new, uh, Mission Church, we're pretty simple. We're theologically very conservative. Socially, we're a little bit more liberal than most. So honestly, um, as, we've, as we planted and we planted other churches, the certain denominations love us because we're so conservative, but they don't like how we dress or how many tattoos are in the church. And then the liberals love us because of how we look, but they don't like our theology. So we're kind of a stepchild. So welcome to our trailer park here. Um, we get after scripture. We love to study it verse by verse, word for word. And today it's Acts part 35. We've been literally in this for 35 weeks already. Um, we'll be in second part of 17 today. Um, now, a little intro where we've been last week. We talked about Berea. This was a place where when Paul and his crew came to talk about the gospel, what did the church do there? Did they, were they just like, amen, amen. Yeah, whatever you say, we'll go with. They're like, no, we're going to check all that. So I love you doing that. So as I read the word, as I teach the word, you study the word, you respond to the word. Early on in my ministry, when I was just learning how to preach and get my, get my groove on in the pulpit, several times I would be preaching and somebody from the audience would go like that. So I, that would throw me off a little bit. But if there's anything I say that's weird, it will probably happen one way or another sometime. Text me, we'll talk about it, we'll, we'll go from there. So, um, he's been in Berea, people checked him, the Thessalonians followed them all the way down, which was like walking for a week just because you had a grudge, came in, his team um, sent him on to Athens, and that's where this story is going to be today, latter part of 17. Um, now, we've been using this same map for several weeks, y'all want to see the map again? Does anybody want to see the map, get grounded again? I'm going to show it to you anyway. Okay, here, right here. Now, take a look at this. I'm very visual. A lot of y'all are visual. This is the part of the world that we're talking about. This is where the church blew up. So bottom right-hand side, you see Jerusalem. This is where um, Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our older brother, the one that we'll see in Scripture today is the judge, I don't know if you've ever thought about him in that regard, but we'll see that in scripture today. Jerusalem is where he was crucified, okay? Um, when he came back to life on the third day, he didn't uh, show himself to a few people. It was hundreds of people, okay? And so when they saw him literally rise up into the clouds, um, they didn't know what to do, but Jesus said, listen, I have to go to my father so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. They gathered in an upper room. They were terrified. The Holy Spirit dropped on them. The doors came open. They ran out into the streets and began to share the simplicity of gospel plus nothing. It's just Jesus that will save you. It's just Jesus that you need. It's not what you bring to the table. It's not what you bring to the relationship. It's what Christ has done. It has been finished. He has done all the work. Your responsibility is to trust in him, to walk after him, and to obey him, to be in community, to gather with others and worship him. So they rushed out into the street. The church was born. Thousands of people, literally the first church that was ever put together was a mega church, okay? So they had a ton of uh, baptisms to do. 
They start gathering uh, in a place called Solomon's Porch in the temple complex. It was the only place that was big enough. And they began to talk about Jesus and talk about him crucified and why this bothered leadership was because uh, people of all different colors and all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds were worshiping together. And what the government wanted at that time, and pretty much what every government wants, is to separate people so they could be more easily controlled. And that's the truth. Now, what, what bothers government, what bothers the status quo, is when God calls all people together and is very hard to control an independent thinking body, which is under one leader. And the leader was Jesus Christ. And so this angered the religious people. Uh, they actually murdered one of their people, uh, 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 a deacon named Stephen. When Stephen was murdered, the church scattered and went everywhere. And so look where you see Jerusalem, past Sidon, the island Cyprus off to the left. That was one of the first places that Paul went on his missionary journey. You go up a little bit to Antioch of Syria. Um, this was the next mega church that kind of exploded, had leadership of all different ethnicities and backgrounds. We see from that church that they don't send the secondary or tertiary leaders and keep the best. They sent the best. And so what that tells us from the very beginning, the inception of the church is church health matters and missions matter. Not one is greater. And you do see a lot of pastors in the United States value one over the other. And so the answer is not one or the other. The, the answer is yes. And so our church is important, yes. Our mission's important, yes. You cannot separate one from the other. They are together. So for a whole year, we see Paul and Barnabas, his partner in crime, our missions, uh, cruise around, uh, lead a lot of people to Christ. They get beat up. They get thrown in jail, all kinds of things on their missionary journey. The second one begins, and that's where we are right now. Um, now, if you... If you uh, Go along the little pathway there. You see Pisidian Antioch. You see Troas. They've been in Thessalonica. You see Berea in the upper left-hand corner. That's what we're talking about. Paul gets in trouble there because he will not be quiet. He tells the truth. He speaks up, he speaks out, and he tells the truth. And this gets two responses that we'll see in Scripture today. One, people are interested. The other is people are offended. And if you share the gospel, church, one of two things will happen. People will be interested or they will be offended. Get ready, both will happen, okay? I've seen murderous intent in people's eyes before as I'm just talking about Jesus, not pushing anything, just talking about Jesus. I can see the change happen. And then other people where I'm thinking, that person's probably gonna murder me if I talk about Jesus. I talk to them about Christ and, and the Holy Spirit does some work. So you and I cannot be bound up on what we see or what we receive. We need to be bound up in who has called us and who has saved us. And we have to tell the truth. And that's what we see Paul doing. So let me pray. Acts 17, 16 through 34. We'll try to make it through that today. Thanks for being here, by the way. It's a real blessing to worship with you guys. Uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Some of y'all have read this verse a thousand times. Some of you have never read it. So may it come alive right now. May we have certain little aha moments in scripture that we've not seen before, and may we never be the same for the glory of Christ and for our better good. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, whew, thank you so much for being holy, for being righteous, for being all the things we're going to study today. 
You identify yourself and Lord, call us to respond to you. Call us to not see you from a distance. Call us to see you close and intimate and connected and caring about us. That's who you are. You're not waiting on us, Lord, because you wait on no one. You are God and you move as you choose to move. But Lord, may we wait on you. May we wait on you and renew our strength. May we mount up with wings as eagles. May we do the things you've called us to do, not for our glory, but for yours. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, so he had gotten in trouble in Berea, he's almost gotten murdered, he's supposed to wait, and I'm sure his team was like, for a few days, can you just hang at the hotel? Can you just be still? But we see that Paul has something different happening in him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Speaking to a missionary years ago that had come out of having a mission in India, and when this man was speaking to one of the, the Indian ladies about coming to America, he asked her, have you ever been to America? And she said, no, I don't want to. There's too many idols there. Now, that comes from a country that has idols on every corner, that believes in thousands of them. And yet this Indian woman was identifying the fact that we in our country have many idols. So I'll just ask you as a precursor today, maybe identify in your own heart and your life right now, what are your idols? What are you setting up in a place that has precedence over God's sovereignty? What are the things that maybe you worship when you've been called, and we're going to see from Scripture today, to worship the Creator. Verse 17, so this is what he did. He saw these, this idol worship. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, with those who worship God. He first went to the church people. He went to the religious people, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul had a gospel rhythm. This is what we talked about last week. To be a believer church does not mean that you come to a gathering once every week. That's not just that. It's a breathe in, breathe out. Like, uh, have you guys, whatever you are in terms of your nationality, do you stop being that on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? If you're married, do you stop being Wednesday, married on Wednesdays? No, you don't. Do you stop being a parent? Do you stop being a child? Do you stop being a a citizen of San Antonio, it's an all the time thing. And so why do we see our Christianity as something we can put on or take off? It's all the time. And Paul understood that. And so wherever he was, he was breathing in Jesus and he was breathing out Jesus. He was living Jesus in, he was living Jesus out. Now, the word that right there is reason is dialogamai, it's where we get the word dialogue. He was not talking at people and that was it. And, and some of us, and I'll look down when I say this so I don't catch anybody in the eye. Some of you need to listen more, okay? It's a discussion. It's back and forth. It's asking questions. It's actually being interested. I've witnessed with people on the street, in bars, and everywhere around the world. And sometimes <clears throat> believers just want to tell everybody what they know. And I've got news for you. What you know is not what's going to save them. Who you know is what's going to save them. And so you have an opportunity to give that in a way that's a presentation, not a demand. It's a conversation. 
Sometimes it goes on for a long time. There's a local restaurant I go to. I love kava. Kava is my new salata for those of y'all have been paying attention. Salata is good, but kava is next level, okay? So there's a, there's a manager there that I go there so much, he knows exactly what I want. And um, I've been talking to him for probably a month. And this past week I said, hey, sometime let's go to lunch. I'd love to hear your story. And he laughed, and I just keep on moving. I don't stand there and say, do you know the four spiritual laws? If you were to die right now and go to heaven, why would God let you in? I don't say those things. God is sovereign. He's in control. He doesn't need me to save that dude. I can't save him anyway. But he, does, he has called me to love him. And so he laughed, and I just let it go, but I'm going to see him again this week. And probably this next week, I'm going to say, dude, where can I buy you coffee? Let's go hang out. I want to hear your story. And you know what? I'm interested in his story. So God is calling us to dialogue. He is calling us to have conversations, not declarations and demands, okay? Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with them that I have too much to cover to go over what Epicurean and Stoic means, but this afternoon before you take the holiest of naps, the Sunday nap, you can Google that, you can enjoy it, and I promise you it will put you to sleep, okay? Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Disgust, right? Irritation. You're going to receive it if you tell the truth. Others replied, he seemed to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus is really, really good news. And we're called to share. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new, always about the next idea, the coolest thing. So many idols. Uh, Athens was a giant pluralistic city. Um, the Athenians reasoned, discussed, and debated Everything. The response of the people to Paul talking about Jesus again will be the same response you receive. Curiosity, tell me more. Please be quiet. I don't like this. One or the other. That's when you know you're, you're, you're telling the truth, by the way. If somebody just constantly receives what you say and never do anything about it, maybe the problem is what you're saying, not how they're receiving it. Um, show this little picture. I found this online. That's uh, basically, I, when I would see these pictures when I was a child, my, my number one question was, why is everybody wearing bathrobes? Like, that's a very casual community, right? Like, this is how they dressed back then. But they would gather in these places to where they would speak, and somebody would get up and give a speech. They didn't have, you know, an iPad or uh, really even pap papyrus was very expensive. They had to do it from memory. They would talk, they would gather, they would share, and then other people would respond. Okay, um... Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in England, a long time ago would preach with no mic to thousands of people. And how he would do it is he would be on a middle level to where there's sometimes two levels below him and then two levels above him. And he would speak sometimes to four, sometimes 5,000 people with no mic. Okay, so these guys were phenomenal orators. That's what they did. Um, verse 22 Oh, by the way, this gathering and talking about everything, does it sound like anything familiar to anyone? Anyone, what does it sound like? Social stinking media. 
okay? Everybody has the courage of 10,000 soldiers online to say what they want to say. And I know, and listen, probably none of you have, it's only been me, that you get pulled into a discussion or a debate with somebody and they something and you're like, well, they need to know the truth right now. I need to type it all out for them. Never in my history on social media has anyone ever said, you know what? Now that you've told me I'm wrong, I see that I'm wrong and I appreciate you. So potentially, maybe we need to realize that social media is not the problem, by the way. Amen? I like social media. You can, social media is not the problem. You are. I am. Okay? Food's not the problem. You are. I am. Sex is not the problem. Alcohol is not the problem. Real estate is not the problem. Your 401k is not the problem. You are. See? Amen. Right there. <laughs> Just got a high five right there. Okay? So Paul goes into the Areopagus. He's set up in this place with all these professional listeners and really men and women that are pretty jaded, okay? They just want to hear something new. Their addiction is new ideas. So here's how Paul um, warms himself up to them. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every aspect. And I'm sure they're like, yeah, we are. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Here's where he goes sideways. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. That's basically what the whole city was focused upon, shrines made to gods they did not know. It was a thriving economy. It was a thriving culture. uh, And it was thriving entertainment also. So Paul's introductory remarks. How many of y'all took speech in high school or college? Anybody take that wonderful class? Some of y'all, it was a good experience, right? Some of y'all are like, that was the most boring hour I spent all week in that class. Now, two of the things that Paul does are a part of giving a good speech. What's the first one? Paul begins with a compliment. Okay, I see you are religious. Everybody pats himself in the back. The second one is he makes an observation about their city. That's good. It's intriguing. And the third one is not what you do when you want to win people over. He finishes his introduction with an accusation. I mean, did you see that? He says this in the latter part of verse 23. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, he just called them ignorant, okay? He calls these learned, smart, rich, wealthy, good-looking people ignorant. You know he may have not won friends that day, but he definitely won their attention. Verse 25. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. We're going we're to talk about all these. He did so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him... We live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, now he's using almost like a pop psychology response, like he's using one of their heroes, and I'll show a picture of him in a minute, to give an example to continue them in the process. He's having a dialogue. He's offended them a little bit, but he is a master orator, and he's bringing them into the conversation. Since then, we are God's offspring, 
We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human heart and imagination. Verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, big statement, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed as King Jesus. We're going to come back to that. He has provided proof of this to everyone by what? By raising him from the dead. Okay, huge. Paul's lecture. He covers several things about who God is. Okay, and we we need to be clear about this. I think a lot of us have been in church for a long time, but sometimes you have to remember who your God is. You have to refocus on who he says he is. So the first thing, he is creator of all things. What does that mean? That means God is the creator. Therefore, whatever has been created is subjugated under his power. It is subjugated under his importance. It is subjugated under his influence. Where we get in trouble with idols is what we've done is we've elevated sex or power or money or influence or food or whatever, your children, whatever thing you want to do. We've taken the created thing and we've elevated above the one that created it. Almighty God is the creator of all things. Second one, he is also Lord of all things, which means he has not created us and let us loose in the wild and he has no control or sovereignty. He is over not only the created things he has made, he is over your mindset. He is over your ideology. He is over your sex drive. He is over the desires, the wants, the needs, any emotion you have. He is Lord over those things. So we cannot remove them from his lordship and say, Lord, your will be done, but not in these two things. You have no right to say that or do that. You and I are the created. Third one, he does not live in anything made by man. Now, I grew up in the church and, you know, old South, deep South, dirty South, whatever you want to call it. We would go to church and you'd have to put on your Sunday clothes, which really almost made me hate Sunday because those clothes were torture devices. Uh, None of them were comfortable. The shoes were horrible. The pants were uncomfortable. And that was like your Sunday best. I'm like, no, that's that's, that's my weekly worst. That's what it is. So we we go to this building and, and we would be told by deacons and leaders, you're in the house of God, be nice. You're in the house of God, stop chewing gum. Oh, they don't chew gum in heaven? Like, what? where did you get that, that rule? You're in the house of God. You need to sit down. You need to be still. You need to do all these things. Well, listen, if you're called to do something in one place, you're called to do it in other places too. The space is not the value. The presence is the value. So we, look, you, you and I can go to the church I was raised in, I love that church. It was a great church. But when no people are there, it's just four walls and some really ugly carpet. That's really all it is, okay? Okay, it's pews, and those are those of y'all that are not in the church, that's, that's Greek for uh, uncomfortable seating arrangements, okay? That's what that is. So the building is not the thing God wants you and I to be focused on. He wants us to be focused on him. So when we gather here, The church is present. 
So what's holy about this place is God's presence and his body being here. This is what's holy. But when we leave, this building is not special in and of itself. I got a verse to prove that. This is one of my favorite. Um, There's a pastor named Alistair Begg from England. And when he reads this verse, it sounds completely different. You may want to Google him this afternoon. Listen to him. Isaiah 66, 1 through 2a. Um, the prophet Isaiah, who was a failure by worldly standards, by the way. He, did, he really got nothing done on, in terms of his ROI. But he was extremely obedient, and that's why we read him right now. Okay? Um, here's what he says. God says through Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. So you, again, God wants to reveal himself to us. He is present. He shows his value and his power in what he creates. We literally can create nothing. All we can do is rearrange um, things. That's really what art is, by the way. It's not creation. It's a rearrangement. You can create You cannot create something from nothing. So God is the only one that does that. So his presence is everywhere. And God said, heaven is my throne. So as we we look up at the clouds when we walk outside, we are looking at God's throne room. And he says, and earth is my footstool. Anybody have a footstool at home they use? An ottoman? I have an ottoman. I love my ottoman. I love at the end of Sundays going in and going, ah, I'm putting my feet up on that. Listen, God says about terra firma, the place that you and I live, this vast space, that that's his footstool. Okay? He goes on and says this, where could you possibly build a house for me? If where you live is where I put my metaphorical feet, really, what can you build for me? I think a lot of us are very proud of things we built for God. Look at the church I planted, God. High five. Look, look, at, look at how good I am in my marriage. I'm so good, Lord. Like we're going to impress the Trinity in terms of what we do. And where would my resting place be, God says. And he summarizes it in verse 2. My hand made all these things. So they all came into being. You and I came into being when God spoke and chose to create us. That is how we owe him. That is how we are indebted to him forever. He is the creator. You are the created. God is the life giver. Next one. He is the one who allows you to breathe. You realize that? Like as you breathe in the morning, as I woke up this morning a little bit before six, um, last night I was watching the Lord of the Rings uh, Amazon series. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. With my daughters. My daughters and I are professional commentators with every movie. I've taught them that. That's a skill I brought into the marriage of talking all through movies. And so now they all do it with me. Selena loves it. And we're watching <laughs> these movies and we crank it up and surround sound and we're loving it. And I went to bed just feeling like, oh, it was so much fun. I enjoyed that. And I wake up this morning. I get to preach and I love the word of God because it saved my life. I've never been the same. I, I am in awe of God. And I just woke up this morning thinking, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad in it. God is creator. And I I want us to join each other in doing that consistently. This is the best part of community, being around other people that recognize the Godhead, that recognize the superiority that our creator has over us. Next one, God brought all men and women from one person, um, Adam, Uh, Adam and Eve is who we all came from. Therefore, 
critical race theory has no place, okay? It really doesn't. We can talk about that offline if you want to, but I want to be super clear about that. Not one people group is the problem ever in history. What the problem is is sin. The problem is sin, okay? It's sin in your heart. It's sin in my heart. And we cannot point fingers. We must say, my responsibility, my responsibility. And I hate, absolutely hate our history of slavery. But slavery has been going on since the beginning of time. And I hate all of that too. Okay. We came from one man, one woman. God is saying, no matter what your background and your ideologies and where you come from, you come from one source. And that source is actually not even Adam and Eve. It is almighty God himself. That is our heritage. He is our father. Um, last one, God has decided where we will live and how long. This is the sovereignty of God right here. So if, if, if that, it, it may offend some of you that are new to the church. That's not my purpose, but that is the Bible's purpose. Um, if you think that you're in control of tomorrow or next week or next year, um, that's not what scripture says at all. You're under divine hand of a sovereign God. And he knows exactly where you're going to be this afternoon. He knows exactly what you're going to say at this time next year. He knows the, the millisecond that you're going to pass into eternity. And so because of those things, we should be focused on him even more. I think the, the human condition, the disparity causes us to say, well, I'm not going to worship a God that would demand those things. That's neither here nor there what you choose to do. It matters who he is. And that's what we have to struggle with. This is an interesting passage I found in Job. And if you remember the story of Job, he's the one that's incredibly wealthy, was a godly man, loved the Lord, honored the Lord, gave sacrifices to the Lord, and in one day lost everything. Okay, lost all his children, uh, lost all his wealth. And, and, I, and I've, I've read through Job a bunch of times. Some of y'all may have not heard this passage before either. Job 34, 14 says this. He's talking about God. If God should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, notice that it's his breath, it's not your breath. All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If God chose in this second right now to take back his breath and his life and his essence, everybody on the planet would go to dust right now. Honor God and praise him and worship him right now. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one that deserves all praise and all glory. Last two, God has chosen to be close to us at a counseling sesh with a Catholic brother this past week who spoke about God in the distance. He had been raised in a place where God was this thing that you could not get close enough to because of our own issues and problems. Um, God is here. God is close. God is present. God is available. God knows your name. God knows where you come from. He counts the hairs on your head. He knows your history. He knows your yesterday, your today, and tomorrow. He is revealing himself so that you might see him and enter into relationship with him. And the last one, God has overlooked our ignorance. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That God has overlooked my ignorance. God has overlooked my, my choices in little minute moments of saying, I'm God, not you. 
My actions are greater than yours. What I worship is greater than you. Thank you, Lord, for your phenomenal forgiveness of my ignorance. So how should we respond? I'm going to make these quick. Uh, The first one is this, verse 27. God has done what he chose to do that we might seek him. He is making available the relationship. It is not hidden. It is not like something that we have to search for and search for all our lives and then come to a clear knowledge. It is available right now, John says, for all who believe. Okay? For all who believe. All right? We should look for him. And I would ask you that today. Church, are you still looking for him? Those of you that have been Christians for a while, are you still looking for God? Now, I'm going to go home. Selena's uh, not feeling that great today. I'm going to go home and look for my wife. I know where she is. But I'm going to go find her. Why? Because she's valuable to me. My kids are all teenagers, so they scatter like puppies all during the week. I'm going to go find them and gather them because they're important to me. I also was listening and looking for God this morning as I was coming to church. And I'm going to do the same. I have a wedding to do this afternoon after I have lunch with two people that have just come to the church. Are you looking for God today? Are you looking for him? He is, he is findable. Amen. Let next one. Uh, it is only by God that you exist. Okay, verse 28. Uh, the next one, we are his offspring. Uh, that's an interesting word. Now, this is a quote from Eratus, a didactic poet that came from Paul's region of Cilicia. Like literally, he sourced a poet and a writer that was in that area that came from where he was from. Paul is from Tarsus. That's his hometown. But the area is called Cilicia. It's much like uh, uh, when people ask me where I'm from, I say, I live in San Antonio, but I come from the country of Texas. And they're like, okay, we've heard about you. I said, yeah, you have. Going to hear more. Okay. <laughs> Pull up a picture of, uh, of, of this, this didactic poet right here. Eratus. This is probably when he was a younger man. See a little cockiness in his eyes. He's wearing the whole leaf frond in his hair that was probably equivalent to a backward baseball cap of the day. Okay, he's got a thick manly beard. Looks like he's going someplace. Now I'll show you a picture of him later on in his life since it's almost Halloween. There you go. You're welcome. Um, You know, if you guys want to go to somebody that nobody knows, you can download this face and cut it out and you can be uh, this poet right here. Now, didactic poets, what they would do is they wanted to tell stories and write poems that taught you something, which I love that. So I I love the the, being a didactic anything that you don't want to just be a speaker so people can hear you talk. You want people to learn. When I go uh, shooting with my instructor that's in the room, I'm not going there to just talk. I'm going there to learn from him. When I hang out with my kids and they're teaching me what teenagers are about these days, I must listen to learn, okay? Paul is saying to these people in a very, very sly backdoor type of way, this unknown God that you have a shrine to actually is not unknown. He is known, And he wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. The next one is you're called to repent. Okay, that's a big word. That means you're going in one direction and you don't rediscover or rework what you're doing. You literally turn and you walk in a different direction. That means some of us need to walk away from certain relationships right now that are toxic and wrong and bad. Some of us need to just say no to specific things. 
Okay, this is where community comes in. Next one, God is going to judge everyone and the standard will be his son's righteousness, verse 31. Now that's very interesting. Uh, and I'm gonna show you why in just a second. I was raised in a home where it was God the Father, who is this unknown, I couldn't see his face. He had a lightning bolt in his hand, ready to knock me out off the planet. And then Jesus was the one that looked like a dude from a rock band from the 70s, who basically was white with long brown hair, a lot of times blue eyes. He looked like he had soft hands and you know, little kids and forest animals liked him. Like that was the Jesus of, of my, my, my upbringing. And so obviously you, you feel connected to him. But let me explain something to you. The Lord of heaven is Jesus, right? He is the king. The Lord of hell is who? Jesus. He is over Satan. He's over hell as well. And so some of us will receive and hear him one day and say, I can't get enough of this voice. I can't get enough of his presence. And some of us, scripture says, will weep and gnash our teeth because we don't want to listen to the voice anymore because it is the voice of judgment. So here's three verses I'll, I'll, shoot, I'll choose to prove that. Let's read John 14, 6 first. This is a great passage right here. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, you know, sweet, nice Jesus, the, the redeemer, the, the, the shepherd, the, the one who is so kind and nice to everybody. Yeah, I, that's, I, I got it. I believe in you. No problem. Let's back it up to John 5, 22. Read this one first. Here's what John records that Jesus saying also. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. So God, the father is not the judge. See, he has given Jesus the name that is above all names. Okay, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So if God the Father does not judge one day, who judges? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a pretty big statement, right? To make in Matthew 28. Like he's, it's, he's really, like you can't say Jesus was just a good person. You can't. Either he was Lord or he was a psychopathic liar. That's the only two options you have, by the way. And, and I, I know that he was Lord. So he's saying right there to the people, all authority has been given to me by my father, whom I have obeyed. I've walked in his ways. So now let's read John 14, 6 through that visual. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through my judgment. It's a little different. It's a little different. It's a little different. And so I encourage you to go back into the text and the sermon notes today and really meditate on who God is expresses himself to be and where are you missing these these lines of worship how do you need to reestablish your comprehension and, and and understanding of almighty god where is your worship breaking down because you you have subjugated almighty god under your idols you have to ask yourself what are those People respond, verse 32, 33, 
Some made fun of Paul. Some were interested. As you speak up, speak out and tell the truth, church. Some people will make fun of you. Some will be interested. You're not going to bat a thousand on either side. There are times when I've shared the gospel and I've seen murderous intent in people's eyes looking right at me like they want to kill me. And I know in that moment that I'm not looking at a person, I'm looking at an entity. And other times I've shared the gospel with people that I'm positive will want to kill me if I speak up and they're the ones that respond in tears. So listen, you and I don't get to, we're not at the planning table with the Trinity deciding on who gets saved. We are under the authority of the creator. And his response to you and to me is speak up, speak out, and tell the truth. Have conversations. Have a dialogue. Don't do this, okay? Be the one that brings good news. And sometimes you will be disregarded still. But other times, for the glory of God, he will choose to glorify himself. Gospel plus nothing, okay? Jesus saves us by himself, not because of what you have done. Our works, which show our faith is not dead, is an overflow of what we have been given by God through his son, sola de gloria. All glory and praise to almighty God. None for us, all for him. That is how we're called to live. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for this word. Uh, Speak to us. Forgive us, Lord. Jesus, allow us to see you as not only our savior, um, but also as our judge. May we weigh our choices in accordance with your word and your truth. In your name we pray. In your name alone. Amen.